Welcome to Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people at Summit Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We gather each week in the heart of St. Paul on historic Summit Avenue, where our mission is to create rhythm, opportunity, and location where people like you can have life-changing experiences with God. Our podcast is one of those locations. As followers of Christ, we are doing our best to be on mission, disciple others, deliver hope, and champion this city. At any point in your journey with us today, if you want to take a next step or you just want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Summit, just grab your phone and simply text the phrase, be known, all one word, be known to the number 651-360-2908. We will send you a short form that makes it super easy for you to complete. There's always new opportunities to mention and new ways that you can get involved. One of the rhythms that is important to following Jesus and important to us at Summit is studying scripture. As we study the Bible, we can have one, hope, two, find guidance, three, be corrected, and four, receive truth into our lives. Listen in and lean in with us wherever you are, open up God's word, and hear this week's message. Let's talk a little bit about math. If you don't know uh, we've been in a series of the book of Daniel, and I don't know about you, but this specific chapter, chapter 9, there's a lot of math. How many of you love math? I mean, you kind of remember some of the things. Some of you are like, yeah, I love math. How many of you can't stand math? Okay, math only gets harder. Let's talk about this. These are actual formulas that you would have to learn or you have already learned in pre-calculus. Uh, I remember pre-algebra. I remember, you could say, uh, algebra. I remember failing geometry. I mean, I remember all kinds of different formulas, equations that you'd have to, like, learn. And as I've noticed, as I've helped my kids, their math just gets harder. Like, as my kids have grown, their actual, you could say, formulas that they have to memorize and the exponents and all the things they got to, like, this is an actual equation that Xavier brought home one time. And I'm like, I have no, I mean, I'm just going to get, I'm, I'm going to cry. I don't know what to say. How many of you parents, your kids ask you for, for help with their math, and then you, um, you just Google it and you have to learn how to do it? Raise your hand. Grandparents, parents, okay, there's a bunch of you that have done that. That has definitely been me uh, when I'm asked. There's a couple things you need to know about math is depending on how you do a assumption of a formula, you can get different values or different, you could say, outcomes. The book of Daniel is really no different. Depending on what you assume when it comes to the math that's derived, you could get different interpretations and different outcomes. Uh, you also need to know that this specific portion of Scripture, Daniel chapter 9, is arguably... Some would say the top three, maybe even top two scriptures or books in the entire Bible. Uh, as I've said in this series of Daniel, there is things that we are journeying through, but this is a very important, very pivotal portion of scripture, and it's important for us to, to understand it. Uh, Isaac Newton said this about the book of Daniel chapter 9. Uh, Isaac Newton, the guy that knew his way around math, he said you could hang the whole of Christianity on Daniel chapter 9 alone. In other words, you can make sense that the Bible is true and accurate on this specific book of the Bible and have nothing else, according to Sir Isaac Newton and his math. Let's go there, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year, Darius, the son of Ah. Asuras, maybe? Asuras? Thank you, Dale, as you, as you, as you were. Um, <laughs> by descendant Amid, who was a king over the realm of the Chaldeans. That's about 539 BC. This is taking place. Remember, this portion of scripture is not in chronological order like the other books. We're kind of skipping back after the legs and uh, excuse me, the arms, the Medo-Persian Empire had invaded. We talked about that last week. In his first reign, or year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books, write that down in your Bible, 
or just underline that, perceived in the books, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. This first part of scripture, Daniel is in the books or the book of Jeremiah. He's doing the calculations and he's like, there's 70 years of captivity according to scripture. You can read about that for yourself in Jeremiah 28 and in Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 28, 11, the whole country, excuse me, 25, 11, the whole country will become desolate and a wasteland. These nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Jeremiah is reading the prophet Isaiah. He's doing the math on the calculations and he is literally looking at it now into this prophecy that Jeremiah had and he's like concerned. We'll get to some of his concerns, but he's really studying the books. First point of my message is this, uh, can you binge the better thing? First point of my message is binge the better thing because you're gonna have a choice every week on what you're going to binge. Does anybody know what that word means, binge? You binge chocolate. Uh, don't look at me like you're not the only one. I mean, you binge, fill in the blank, you binge media. How many of you have ever caught yourself uh, watching a TV show on let's say like Netflix or, like see, when I was a kid, if you missed the episode, you just missed the episode. You never got to see it ever again. If you were watching G.I. Joe season four, episode five, when Duke and, and you know, Sergeant Slaughter stake the beach, you missed that episode, you'll never see that again. That was out of your childhood. If you miss an episode of the A-Team, forget about it. Pity the fool. <laughs> What's my point? Now it, you don't miss episodes because we don't have TV. We stream these stupid things. And then so we watch shows. And have you ever like started watching a show and then you use the word, I'm binging this show and it's Tuesday and you got to put on pants. You haven't brushed your teeth in a week and you just literally have been binge watching whatever it is. Show of hands, if you've ever binge watch a show, raise it up, be honest, look around, you binge watch something, it's true. <laughs> You're gonna have a choice. Can you just binge the better thing? I'm just, I'm, I'm convicted here about Daniel in his free time. What is he doing? He's binging the better thing. And it doesn't necessarily mean these things are evil. It just means something else is better. So when it comes to Bible study, if you're gonna be in the book, can you just do this over the next 30 days? Ask yourself this clarifying question. Before you binge anything, before you turn on the news or you watch Netflix or Hulu or a football game, ask yourself, have you invested your time into binging the better thing? If the answer is no, then don't live out of order and expect order. The truth is, is we have this choice every day to binge the better thing. I can think of no better thing than letting the word of God rightly divide you. I can think of no better thing than investing time in prayer with Christ. I, I, can, I, can, I can look at all kinds of different things that we could do, and I'll just say, let's binge the better thing. What do you binge? Uh, I, I just would say this to you. If you've not read the Bible cover to cover, that's okay. On our Welcome Center, we've got a New Testament reading plan that you could pick up and start reading from now into the end of the year. You got four months left. You could catch up. You could get somewhere. But the truth is, is we get busy. We get tired. We get emotionally fried from all of the things that we deal with. And then we binge the easy things. And can I just say to you all that this is a muscle you have to flex? You have to get to the spot where the word of God, did you like that over there, Jonathan? It's like, you have to get to the spot where the word of God is a source of rest. It's a source of peace. It's a source where you go to, not just the remote and some episode that isn't necessarily bad. It's just not the better thing. I'm challenged by Daniel here. He says he turns his face to the Lord. 
The time is about up. I've lived that prophecy here. Now, remember this portion of scripture, Daniel, he went into Babylon at about age 15, and now he's about 80, 85 years old, and he's been there for about 70 years. He's doing the calculation, binging the better thing, and he's like, we're almost done with this captivity that Jeremiah is talking about. I've been here for almost 70 years. And he says, God, I, I, I need to know. I turn my face towards God, seeking him in prayer and plea for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And by the way, as a church, we fast on Mondays collectively together. Uh, tomorrow, I'm not fasting, so join with me on Tuesday. Tomorrow, I'm eating as many bratwursts as I can eat in a 24-hour period. Moving on. Uh, and by the way, it's also my birthday tomorrow. Uh, bratwurst and cake. Cake first, bratwurst second. He says, I please for mercy with sackcloth and ashes. I pray to the Lord my God, my confession saying, Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, steadfast love, who those who love and keep his commandments. We have sinned, we've done wrong, we've acted wickedly, we rebelled. We've turned aside from your commandments and rules. Second point of, uh, uh, today is just this. The word will bring conviction. When you binge the better thing, you need to know this. The word will bring conviction to you. People will love to have a conversation with you all the way to hell. They will love to have a conversation with you all the way until you're theologically so mixed up that you're mixing Christianity and pantheism and, and jewels and rocks and cards and futuristic, secular, humanistic. You could go through the list of all the different ways you could look at the tapestry of the universe. They will love to have a conversation with you, an open, loving dialogue, and that just leads you astray. People love that conversation. I'm not saying our job is in conversation. Our job is conversation. The Holy Spirit's job is conversion. It's just when we start conversating about the things that are not of the laws and commandments that leads us off to the wrong place. People will love to have a conversation with you about this. The other thing I'll say is people love to have this, especially church people. Church people love condemnation. They love to have a conversation about your life and the stuff that's wrong with your walk. And the stuff that you do wrong, Pastor. You love having that conversation with me. You know, for the first six months of being your pastor, I just prayed up, put on the armor of God, and I stood in the lobby, and I just, I just stood there like a pole, and some of you would come up to me like a deer, and you're just like, just scraping your antlers on me. And I'm like, just, I can take it. Some of you realize I'm a little tougher than just a scrape. But, but the truth is, is I just sat there, I was like, dump it on me. Go ahead, dump it on me. I am ready. Try me. I'm a doorway, not a doormat. You're going to find that real quick. You hear what I'm saying to you? People love to have conversations about their convictions and about, they love to, they love to have you think that they're the Holy Spirit and they're going to tell you what's right. You hear what I'm saying? That doesn't happen at this church. Everybody take a deep breath. That never happened here. Some of you are like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> My point is, is this, okay? People love conversations that leads us in the wrong place. People love conviction that was never based in the right place, but the word will bring conviction. If you wanna know an area of your life, hey, Pastor Eric, what's your feeling about fill in the blank? You want my feeling? You want my conversation, my conviction, or do you want Jesus's teaching, which? Because the Holy Spirit's gonna illuminate the path and it's gonna be much better than the one that I give you or some sort of pastor on a television would give you or just some sort of uh, American, you could say, uh, nationalism would give you. We could go through the list of all the different sources that we think is truth, but I'm telling you, the word is the source of truth. That's the one that's sharper than any ever two-edged sword. Now I'm preaching. The truth is, is that's the thing that will bring conviction. You hear what I'm saying to you? So when you binge the better thing, you better get ready because the Holy Spirit's gonna use that word to shape you far more than I could ever or anyone else could ever, any conversation or anyone's, you could say, wrongly motivated or wrongly uh, you know, applied, maybe justly motivated conviction on your life. Does that, we, does that mean we just not sharpen iron? Does that mean we don't have iron class with iron? We don't call out 
in each other. No, Jesus gives very clear path to that in Matthew 18. But what I'm talking to you about is when you binge the better thing, buckle up because the word's gonna convict you. And then we'll have to deal with it and that's okay. That's the process of becoming more like Jesus. Amen? That's a good thing. He goes through this in verse six through 19 and I don't wanna spend the time here just for the sheer fact that I want to make sure we get to some of the harder parts of this chapter. But verse 6 through 19 is a prayer, supplication, it's a repentance, it's a confession. It's the most beautiful portion of Scripture when it comes to repentance that I could highlight to you. What does repentance look like? Daniel chapter 9, 6 through 19. I just would simply say to you at the end of this, Daniel says, Lord, forgive. Lord, pay attention. Lord, hear. Lord, act. Delay not for your sake. My God, your city and your people are called by your name. You know, repentance, uh, we talk about this, and you maybe have seen this illustration before where you're walking in this direction, and then you turn and you walk in this direction. Anybody ever see that? Like what repentance is, it's a change of heart, change of mind. You're going your direction, Maisha, and then the Holy Spirit, through his word, says you should probably go in a different direction, and then you turn, you go, okay, I'm going to go in that direction. But when we turn and we walk on this direction, has anyone ever got that perfect? Show of hands, those of you that, that when you repented, you just were perfect. Show of hands, because I'm going to ask you to leave. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the truth is, is when we turn, and remember Sam, when he got baptized, he even articulated this to us. Like one of the things that kept him from doing that was like, well, what if I screw up? What he's really saying is I've had a change of heart, change of mind, but what if I'm, when I'm journeying, what if I, what if I drop the ball? Can I ask you a question? The clothes that you're wearing, you ever gonna wash them? I mean, some of you, like, probably, like, should wash them, but. And if you ever need help with your laundry, we got a laundry at the church. If, in all seriousness, if you can't afford to do that, you can come throw a load in here. But the truth is, is, like, have you ever washed your clothes? What do you do? They get dirty. What do you do? You wash them, and then you wear them. You see, I think sometimes we talk a lot about repentance from this turn, but let me remind you, when you're journeying, your clothes are going to get dirty, just wash them. You know that cycle on your, on your washer that says, like, rinse, rinse and repeat? Every time you see that little button that just says rent cycle, can I just put a little earworm in your head so you never forget this? Repent and repeat. When you go to the rinse cycle on your dishwasher, and when you're going to push it, just go, oh, Pastor Eric, I got it. Repent and repeat. Repentance is this constant sort of beautiful, contrite, humble Daniel 6 through 19. Repent and repeat. When you screw up, keep moving. Keep moving forward. We'll be here to help you up. But the truth is, is we sometimes got to take a cue from Daniel and repent and repeat. Verse 20, he continues, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea, and okay, real quick, a little bit of math. Remember, Jeremiah said you're gonna be in Babylon in captivity, captivity for 70 years. Daniel's doing the math. And actually, this is where I think his plea is. We'll get to it, but I think Daniel's plea is that God is going to make it 490 years of exile. I think Daniel's like, okay, 70 was enough. 490, that's a little over the top. He's making his plea. Don't put your people in exile for 490 years. Make it 70. Before the Lord God for the holy hill of my God while I was speaking. This is talking about Jerusalem in prayer. The man, Gabriel, remember the beginning of chapter 8, this messenger that showed up, whom I had seen at the vision at first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. That's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Daniel, I've come to you to give you insight and understanding at the beginning of your 
plea for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you that you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. If you remember at the end of chapter 8, Daniel's confused about this 23,000-year period. He keeps it to himself. He's kind of sick to his stomach about it. And Gabriel is now going to bring understanding, not only that, but further clarity in that. This is where we are so far. Is everybody okay? Everybody okay? All right, here we go. On the most important sections possibly in the Bible, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. God has marked out these, uh, these 70 weeks, and we'll talk about that in just a second here. So let's just dive right into this. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24. 70 weeks are decreed about your people, Jews, and your holy city, Jerusalem. You have to be careful how you apply people and city here. Because sometimes people love to put people in where people are and put city in where they live. You got to be careful here. The Bible can never mean what it never meant. We're going to do exegesis, not esogesis. We're not going to put it in. We're going to pull it out. Be careful. He says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to put an end to sin. Number three, to atone for iniquity. Number four, bring an everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal both vision and prophet. And six, to anoint the most holy place. First and foremost, you need to know something about the 70 weeks. Everybody say 70 weeks. 70 weeks. Okay, so there's two Hebrew words. Shev, shev uem, shev uem, shevim. Shevuim, Shevim. These are two Hebrew words that have to do with the 70 weeks. It actually means 70 sets of seven. Okay, so you, can, you ready? 70 sets of Skittles. Get your calculator out, that's 490 Skittles. Okay, 70 sets of seven somethings is really what is happening here. Now, scholars, uh, church fathers, the intellectual, you know, you could say biblical, theological committees of the world uh, would rest and all sort of land that we're talking about years here. Seventy sets of seven years. So the number you got to remember is 490. God really is setting apart 490 years. Another way to say it is 70 sets of seven. Okay. Daniel is thinking 70 years for sure. I would argue, why do I say that? It's because Jeremiah said it was going to be 70 years. Second Chronicles 36, Israel failed to keep the Sabbath. This is why I think he's making a plea because he's doing the math that how many years they missed the Sabbath. He's, he's like, this is more than 70. This is closer to 490 or 70 sets. He's freaking out a little bit that his people are going to be in exile for that many more years because what happened in, in 2 Chronicles 36, God gave a very strict, very clear command. You till the soil for six years. On the seventh year, you let it what? Rest. You do that field for six years. You plant corn there for six years. And on that seventh year, you let it rest. Well, they didn't do that. You do the math for how long they didn't do that, and you get 70 sets of seven, or God is simply saying, you owe me 490 years for never leaving those fields rest. Interesting why I think that, but I see this connection very clear for myself here in Scripture. Uh, number number uh, one here is not only the 70 weeks. Number two, what you got to understand, there are six things. Everybody say six. Six things that will happen at the end of the 70 sets of seven years to the Jews, to the holy city Jerusalem, or 490 years. There were six things there in verse 24. We read them. Finish a transgression, make an end of sin, make reconciliation, bring everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, anoint the most holy place. A lot of your modern Bible translations have gotten rid of the confusing 70 sets of seven years, and it's just 490 God has set apart. And they just do the math for you. I don't know what 
translation you're reading, but this is the ESV, which is the Eric Samuel, never mind, okay. (laughs) The angel picks up, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word, the command to restore and build Jerusalem, the coming of the Messiah, the Prince. This is the only place in the Bible where the phrase Messiah, the Prince is used. The only spot. The anointed one, a prince, there will be seven weeks. So let me just back up here real quick. There's a command to rebuild the temple. And then there's 70 weeks between the temple getting rebuilt and being finished, which is 49 years. Because 70 times, seven times seven is what? Okay, you got seven weeks. You got seven years of seven years. You got 49 years total. So there's 49 years for the temple to be restored. And then it continues. And then for 62 weeks, what's 62 times seven? 434. 434, yep. You add these together, it's 483, okay? 483 of 490 years. So, so far, the angel Gabriel is saying to us here in scripture through Daniel, the 490 years that we're talking about, the 70 sets of seven, well, here's what's going to happen for the 483 of them. The first is the temple's going to be commanded to be restored. It's going to be restored. And then the Messiah will come, the anointed one, and it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. And after 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off, not for themselves, and have nothing. So there's going to be an end of this, this, uh, this Messiah. He's going to die. So in short, what you need to understand here before we get any further is that Daniel is prophesying with the angel Gabriel that when the temple is going to be begun to be restored, when it is restored, when Christ will come or be revealed, and when he'll be crucified. Guess what? Over 400 years before it happens, all of this actually is written down. This portion of scripture, what you need to understand is no one reads the Bible backwards here. We do. This actually happened to the date. Let me show you. There's some differences before we get to the dates uh, because we got to kind of get through the rest of this book here. So if you pick up at the end of verse 26, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So now we start looking at this 483 years, and now we start looking at these other verses, and I'll just say real easy. Some say this is the Roman Empire under Titus in 70 AD, we talked about it last week, that came and overthrew. You remember? Some say it was that, but some say it actually is a future Jerusalem that's actually physically rebuilt. The sacrificial system is restored, and the future person, the dis, it's the Antichrist. The end shall come with the flood, and to the end there will be a war. Desolations are decreed. Daniel talked about the Seleucid Empire, that Uh, kingdom from the north, the abomination of desolation with Antiochus Epiphanes. We talked about that. This is all like crazy sort of history stuff, but I don't know what you expect me to do with the book of Daniel when you all wanted me to preach on it. That's in here. It's just got to like, we got to walk through this together. This is not hard stuff. It's God stuff. And it's actually pretty exciting. But what happens here is there is a portion of scripture that it will come with a flood and there will be a war. Desolations are decreed. So is this the 70 AD fall that Jesus warned about and the Roman army as a flood coming and wiping out? Or is this something in the future that has a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and the sanctuary would be restored? And he'll make strong a covenant with many for one week. Some say that this could be an antichrist uh, when when uh, the angel Gabriel is saying he'll make strong for one week, how many weeks or years, rather, is one week worth? 
Seven, he'll make strong for one week. So what was our original? 490. So you start to see that he'll make strong for one week, a seven-year period. There's going to be a covenant, or you could say uh, he'll make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for a half of the week, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and the offerings that are happening in the temple. And on the wing of abominations shall come who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This could be what happened in 70 AD. This could be what happened on the cross. Some people would argue this is a future event or a future seven years. Let's talk about some fun facts before we get to where uh, we land. You ready? Everybody take a breath. Take a breath. Breathe. Okay. And everybody say the word fun fact. And smile. Even if it's fake. Fun fact number one, all right? Let's talk about this. This is fun fact number one. Sir Robert Anderson, he did the math, seven, 173, 880 days. He did the math of the 490 years that Gabriel's talking to Daniel about. If you did the calculation, you'd get it wrong because it's not on our Julian or Gregorian calendars where we track the sun. It's actually where you track the moon if you're Jewish or if you're even uh, the Chaldean people. They would track the moon. So there's about 360 days in a year, not 365 plus the leap year. So he calculates this all out. You ready for this one? April 6, 32 A.D., you could mark it on a calendar. It's the Jewish calendar of the Passover lamb where they would go select a Passover lamb. Mark 11 on that day when Jesus was going from Bethany to Bethphage and Mark 11, he says, go get me a donkey, fulfilling Zechariah 9. If you've ever gone to a Palm Sunday service, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus enters Jerusalem. The total, this is crazy. You ready? I got to sit down for this. The total number of days from March 14th, 445 BC, which would be in the book of Nehemiah chapter two, when they started restoring the temple to AD 32, when Jesus rides in on a donkey is exactly 173,880 days. Temple is command to be restored in, in this portion of scripture in Nehemiah. 480 some three days, years later, Jesus rides in on the donkey. That's amazing. It, it fits. Fun fact number one. Something else fits though too, which is kind of fun. Here's fun fact number two. If you don't use Nehemiah as a starting date, which some scholars don't, I lean towards Ezra 7 verse 9 being the starting date of the command to rebuild the temple. You've got about 49 years, 408 BC, Nehemiah finishes the temple, 13 all the way to the end. So it took 49 years for the temple to be restored, just like Gabriel said it would. And then you've got this amazing event that happens called Christ's baptism. There's no zero on the timeline here when you're going from BC to AD, so you gotta do the math right. But according to Luke, Jesus was baptized in the 15th year of Tiberius, and uh, 27 AD is the 15th year of Tiberius. So you ready for this one? This is awesome, okay? Everybody buckle up. Put your seatbelt on real quick. This is so stinking cool. Uh, in 456 BC, to 27 AD, or Christ's baptisms, it's exactly 483 years. So when the heavens rip open and it says, this is my beloved son who I am well pleased, that is the exact prophetic date that Gabriel is downloading and explaining to Daniel that's written down in the book that we're in today. 483 years prior, the temple has been commanded to be restored. It was restored. And then Jesus is baptized. This is my beloved son whom all authority is given. You've got God the Father speaking. Uh, great picture of the Trinity, by the way. You've got God the Father speaking. You've got Christ the Son in the water. And you've got the Holy Spirit descending. The, the Trinity's present in this story. It's, it's just a caveat. You can save that one for later. But when Jesus is baptized, this is 483 years later. 
What am I saying to you? Why does this matter even to us? Because it, it really shows that God is into the details here. So let me just kind of give you a picture, okay? Uh, that, that's helpful because some of you need a break from math class. This is from my notes from this study. Chapter 8, we've got a 2,300-year uh, process that begins at the rebuilding of the temple. So here's zero. And then 2,300 years in chapter 8, this would end in 1844. Do you remember that guy that thought Jesus was coming back in 1844? Well, that's why. That's where he got his math. Well, guess what? He was wrong. But you start with zero weeks, and then we've got a seven-week period. We've got a 69-week period, and then we've got a 70-week culmination or end of the 70 weeks of Daniel, as this is referred to. To translate this in years, real easy, you've got 49 years, or 7 times 7, so you've got a 49-year gap, then you've got a 434-year block, and then you've got a 3.5 and 3.5, and then this is a total of 490 years. So you can see the conversion from weeks to years and kind of where all these timelines take place. Now, if you want to know dates, this is based on Ezra chapter 7, when the temple was commanded to be restored, 4457 BC. That's just my hunch. That's not necessarily, you know, what you would have for scholastic, uh, you know, approval. There are differences there. I would lean 457 when Ezra uh, started to restore the temple. The temple's actually restored in 408 BC. That's, that's a tough one to argue. And then Jesus, this uh, baptism is in 27 AD. He's crucified in 31 AD. And then there's a stoning of Stephen in 34 AD that happens. These are kind of important. Uh, the Bible, this is uh, Ezra 7, 9. This is Nehemiah, let's just go 13. Well, you could just do the whole thing, but really 23 to the end. And then you've got Luke 3 for when Jesus is baptized. And then you obviously got the crucifixion. And then Stephen is stoned here. So you've got some Bible events. You've got some dates. You've got some years. You've got some weeks. So this is the 70 weeks of Daniel. This helps you get a visual, if you will. I don't know if that's helpful or hurtful, um, but at least help me a, a bit to see them together. The, by the way, if you're confused or if you're like, why, why are we talking about this? It's because I believe that you're, you, you can do this with me. I believe that God has this for us to like go here. I, I'm not gonna dumb this down for anybody. We, it's in here. We should know what this is. We should know about this or at least wade into this together. It's important as a people. So here's where you got to know. This is really where the rubber hits the road here. There is going to be big disagreement about this final set, this final week, this final set of seven years, if it correlates to a future event or if it has already happened in the past. Does, everybody make, does that make sense to everybody? There's big debate here. And this really changes sometimes how you look at this fancy word called eschatology or the things that are to come. Now, you're going to have on one hand, the 69 weeks have been done. But then there's this big 2,000-year gap that we're in between the final week of Daniel that has not happened yet. That's one way to look at it that Gabriel's laying this all out chronologically, and then there's a 2,000-year gap plus year gap, and then there's going to be a final week of Daniel that is to come. If you hold that view uh, or lean that way, great. Um, there's another way to look at this, that all 70 of Daniel's weeks or all 490 years of Jerusalem and its exile of the Jews have been completed it started at the temple, and the six things in verse 24 happened on the cross. 
the six things happen there that's already done. The 70 weeks are fulfilled. That's another way to look at it. To finish your transgressions, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up victory and prophecy and anoint in the most holy place. That's what had to happen for the 70 weeks to be over. So you got this debate here. Did those final years happen or not? Here's what I'm gonna give you. You ready? Hebrews 10, it's impossible for the blood of goats to take away the sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices, sacrifice and offerings you do not desire, but a body you prepared with, for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you are not pleased. So in the book of Hebrews, if that is the case, if the seven weeks are things to come, we will have to go back to some sort of sacrificial system. There will have to be a restored temple to be torn down again. At the same time, Paul talks about a lawless one in 2 Thessalonians 2. And then the lawless one will be revealed, who the Lord Jesus will overthrow and the breath of his mouth will destroy by the splendor of his coming. And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. This lawless one, is there someone other than Satan? Is there this future figure with possible Roman descent that's called the Antichrist that when Jesus' is second coming, just like Nebuchadnezzar's vision of the statue being blown to bits as God sets up his kingdom, is there someone that's going to get blown to bits? The coming, uh, well, let me just say this one. Jesus was crucified in 31 AD and he made the temple system void. Disciples were preaching to the Jews three and a half years later, and then the stoning of Stephen happens. So when Christ was baptized, Christ was crucified, and then the stoning of Stephen happens after the disciples were specifically preaching to the Jews, there was a definite rejection of the gospel. Uh, Stephen is stoned, and then they moved their focus to the Gentiles. So is there a 2,000-year gap between here and here? Or has these biblical events already played out? The coming of the Son of Man, the second coming. We talked about this. It has a lot of events connected to it that are like the abomination of desolations. But the coming of the Son of Man, the second coming, Jesus says, day or our, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing what would happen. That is how it will be at the com of my second coming, of the coming of the Son of Man. So, I wrestle with this scripture because we, we love to figure out a seven-year period before or after Christ comes, but yet no one knows but the Father. So there are all these things that are here. And, I, and I'll just simply say, like, can I just tell you where, where I land? And, and maybe this might surprise you as, as, uh, as maybe you're not used to this for the leaders or the people that are in your life. Um, just show you my conviction here if you're all wondering how I think about the 70 weeks of Daniel are they fulfilled are they yet to come um, I don't know I don't know have a good day we're gonna do an altar call after that one I don't know maybe you want me to know maybe you want people to tell you how to believe. Maybe you want me to serve up the tree of knowledge of good and evil and not the tree of life and let you just check off the box. We want to have true truth. We want to know the right things. But can I just say humbly before God, before you, that I don't know. I don't know. And anyone that says they know, I would argue they are being very disingenuous and possibly suffering from the sin of certainty. Because the truth is, is I don't know. I don't know. And I don't have to know. 
I think a lot of times when we get to biblical prophecy, especially people on YouTube, I love your YouTube channel that you have or you watch. My son Xander, his, his, his nickname in hockey is Big Cat. Go like, subscribe, smash that bell. It's called Cooking with Xander. Pray for my kitchen. He made fried okra the other day and I'm still finding cayenne pepper in my things. But on YouTube, people love to talk about these 70 weeks and offer up what they know. And here's my challenge for us as a people. Do we care more about getting this right or do we care more about people getting right? Do we care more about getting this right or do we care more about getting ready? Does that make sense to you? I don't know. I don't know, and I, and I think sometimes we do. But I'll just say this. This is the math that I have when it comes to Daniel 7, right here. I put this formula up there, and it's been there the whole time. Getting it right in Christ is greater than getting Daniel right. Daniel 9, getting it right. Having Daniel 9, making sure that you got it right, that's less than getting it right in Christ. If you're ready... To meet Jesus, and you get Daniel wrong, who cares? If you get Daniel right and you're not ready to meet Jesus, Daniel isn't the savior of the world, nor is Gabriel the angel. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords is. He's the one. So can I just remind you in that today? Can we rest in that? Let's pray. The 70 weeks of Daniel. This is the formula. Write it down. GR parentheses C is greater than GR in parentheses D9. I hope that's not a cop-out. I hope that's just a dose of humility because there's a lot of ways to look at this. And at the end of the day, I just want to look to Jesus. Can I say one other thing before we pray? It's just something on my heart. Do you know who really doesn't care about this? The family that's uh, trying to pay for their groceries this week in our city. The single mom that's just getting by because she's in an abusive relationship and her, and her boyfriend or her baby's daddy comes home and just beats the crap out of her every night. The people that are so sick of alcohol consuming their dreams and their life, they're on this endless wheel of, of sobriety and drunkenness they don't care about Daniel 9. They just want to get off the wheel. You hear what I'm saying to you, church? Most of the people that we're called to reach and be salt and light to in the 55105, your life included, this city that we got, that God has got us in, they, they, don't, they don't care about this. Christians care about this because they forgot what's truly important and what's really needed to be cared about, and that's people. I'm not saying we shouldn't have intellectual pursuit. Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's why we're doing the book of Daniel and the hard books. But let me just give you a real good dose of perspective. People that are living in a tribulation, that are in hell now, that are dealing with the hell on earth that their sin or circumstance has brought upon them, they need a savior. They need a savior, not the right version of some 70 weeks. Do you hear my heart there? I just want to make sure you know that. I, I, I want us to be and have a high level of biblical literacy in this church, but I don't want it to get in the way of loving people as a church. Jesus talks a lot about that to the Pharisees, about the Sabbath and all the rebuke. You forgot the heart of God behind it. So I don't know. But I do know that we um, disciple people, we deliver hope, and we champion this city until the King of Kings comes. God, I just pray that you would give us the humility and the authority to not know. Lord, I just pray that we would uh, rest in this. I pray that you continue to help us be salt and light in the weeks that we have remaining that you've given to us like a vapor. Help us have a great weekend of rest. God, I pray for supernatural rest for your people here today.
as they don't go into work on Monday, Lord, I just pray that they would act as if everything is done even though nothing is. And Jesus, we love you. Thank you for... Uh, Thank you for making this real clear to us and keeping the main thing the main thing. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody says, amen. amen. Daniel chapter 10 next week. There won't be a whiteboard. There's a lot less math. We'll see you then. To help you apply the truth found in scripture, we always like to ask three questions. What did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? How are you going to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Scripture to your life? We hope that helps bring clarity for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. Join us in person sometime as we gather as a church on Summit Avenue. Or join us here at our podcast again, or virtually at our online encounter each week. Before you go, though, Pastor Eric is going to give you a special invitation and share just part of his heart for you the culture, and a little bit about the people of Summit Church. Hey, Pastor Eric Samuel Tim here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Let me first say, our city of St. Paul is absolutely amazing. I encourage you to explore all the history it has to offer. And you need to know this, Summit Church has been a part of that history, along with so many amazing churches. Speaking specifically about the people of Summit, well, we've been gathering here since about 1932. And my hope that this would not just be a rich history, but it would be our forward legacy. History is a thing of the past, but legacy makes way for the future. So where are we going? That's a good question. Our vision is simple, to see all people of St. Paul and beyond living as disciples of Christ, people full of hope, fully known, and actively loving one another living a spirit-led life. Our mission is also simple, to provide rhythm, location, and opportunity where you can have a life-changing experience with God. Journey within the diversity to do these three things, become disciples of Jesus, to deliver hope, and to champion this city. That is where we are going. That is what we're doing. So where are you going? Maybe that's a good question for you. What are your next steps? I would encourage you to join one of our monthly expeditions. The expedition is a simple experience where you can find out more about who you are in Christ, who Summit Church is, what are we doing around here, and how you can play a part. It's less than a two-hour commitment for your whole month. We also feed you some amazing food and even provide childcare. So the question is, where will we go? Maybe we're on a journey following Jesus together, and I got a hunch. We just might not be us without you. We'll see you at the summit where we prepare for life in the valley.